Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about. time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. It's my favorite time. It's 5 after 10 on Saturday. It's hard to believe it's already the middle of February, too. February 15th. In fact, I guess that makes it past the middle. But uh feels like a good halfway point. Hope you all had a great week. We had a good week. Looking forward to uh, another two-hour show here. Bit to go over, bit to talk about. Hey, what'd you change? That sounds better to me. I know Dan's headphones are a little bit low, I think. Ah, so, okay. All right. All right, yeah, well. So maybe, are we doing okay there, Dan? Yeah, we're doing good. All right. Just getting settled in, trying to figure out which headphones I like best. It always takes a minute to adjust everything. Yeah. Well, these ones have a nice new crack on the right side, so the, the earpiece will fall out if it goes too low. Huh? Working through some challenges, but that's how you know it's live radio. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've been getting a lot of feedback lately about the jingle, Dan. Yeah. It seems like the jingle's caught in a lot of people's heads. It's it's a catchy little some, jingle. Some folks it? really aren't even thrilled about it. I've actually gotten some negative feedback about people waking up in the middle of the night singing it to themselves. You know, we have people here during the week. You know, you guys aren't in here much during the week, no. but I'm in here every day pretty much during the week. We're the mortgage matters. <laughs> we're the mortgage <laughs> experts. Yeah. You don't even know the song. I'm sorry. How do you not know? He knows right, the well, melody though. <laughs> you know, and we there's they're walking down my production studio, they're walking out the hall. Singing yeah, it. We have people here at the radio station singing your jingle. Good. I mean, that's the intended purpose. <laughs> it's good and bad, right? I can appreciate when it gets stuck in your head, though, and you can't shake it. I've been mad at commercials before when I can't stop singing their tune. Yeah. Play it. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle stage direction. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Play it. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 loan. Just call 543 loan. That's a That's a catchy tune. That's a good jingle. Experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Can you believe Dan sang that whole thing? Now we're going too far. We're not going into a break yet. That would be way quick. So being the bass player, I mean, do you like the bass line in that? I think it's great, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe Dan sang that whole thing, too. I'm telling you, it's the new microphones. I heard the <laughs> <laughs> the show before us, uh, Jeff Bradley's show, his guest. I mean, these mics, do we get brand new mics? We got old headphones and new mics? That's what it is. Yeah, okay. Brand new mics, old headphones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really lets the pipes um, reach their full potential here in the studio. Mm-hmm. Oh, I already got a text of somebody upset about the jingle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't read it, though. It's not PG for radio. 
All right, well, damn. Into the thick of it. Oh, okay. Don't you want to? Sure. How was your Valentine's Day? It was great. Yeah, it was really good. What'd you do? Um, Just had dinner at home with the family. Nice. Yeah. um, Seemed better than trying to go out. I don't... The kids always get upset when it's like Valentine's Day and then we get a babysitter and split. So this year we decided to stay put and... Well, nice now your dinner. kids are old enough, you don't have to get a babysitter, and you can still split. The point is they like spending time with <laughs> us, and I feel like that's a f- those are fleeting moments when you have kids that are heading into teenage years. True. Pretty soon, we're going to be like the lamest people they know. Isn't that <laughs> how it goes? You uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> At least you're, for a couple of them. You're dumber than anything, yeah. and yeah, the lamest people they know. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That, that'll change. I mean... Then you'll be back to being cool again. Yeah. But not until Once, they're in their 20s. I think it's when you move out and you realize how hard everything is. And you <laughs> begin to realize that your mom and dad were pretty sharp. And oh, they wow. actually did a pretty this, good job. This is pretty, pretty Keeping tough. things together. This is really tough to do. Yeah. Well, I, I remember going through that transition um, in terms of thinking about, you know, with my folks. I, I don't know that I ever got really distant or vocally didn't like them or whatever. But I know I... I valued them a lot more once it was evident to me what what goes into running your own household. That's for sure. So hey, that's what I have to look forward to. So we made we made some lamb chops on the barbecue and nice. some asparagus. Wifey made some hollandaise sauce. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty nice. Sounds good. Yeah. How about you? We went out. Yeah? Yeah. We we had a babysitter. See, we but but your your boy's young enough that he doesn't really mind. He can he doesn't know it's Valentine's Day. Right. He doesn't know you're standing him up on an important <laughs> an important holiday. Right. <laughs> well, good. Hope you all had a great Valentine's Day, too. You know, I saw a thing. Um, I don't remember now what it's called. Have you seen that? There's a business in Pismo Beach that does, like, beach equipment setup. Have you guys seen this? Is that the Beach Butlers? Yeah, that's what they're called. Mm-hmm. They did a deal. You had to make a reservation, whatever, but it was like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And they set up a thing like a a bonfire set up for you with a couple of chairs. Oh, and a that's cool. Cool, cool little thing, so you could like, you know, go out, cool. yeah, and go sit on the beach in your own little yeah. spot. I really enjoy doing that stuff, but carrying everything down to the beach and then back up seems like a bummer. So they yeah. do it for you. They do it all for you. Yeah, and it. I, I wanted to say is only 150 bucks. I don't know if I'm out of touch. Is that that? Maybe that's a lot. I mean, I think it comes with like a bottle of wine or you know, I don't know. I'd hope so. Yeah, that seems like a lot to carry some chairs and an umbrella down. It looks and like start a, the fire. Yeah. I mean, I would do that for free probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, set me one up for next Friday, buddy. <laughs> I'll be sure to get out there and yeah, let me know what time you want to pick it all up and we'll vacate. Um, okay, well, I don't know where to start. There's a handful of things here that I wanted to talk about today. Okay. And, um, let's start with Fanny and Freddie. Oh, Aunt Fanny and Uncle Freddie. Yeah. What do you got? Oh, yeah, the... There they are. Jim pulled up the Beach Butler's website. Yeah, like a comic strip on the front. Yeah. Kind of weird. <laughs> There's a little setup you were talking about right there, I think. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, Yeah, so Fanny and Freddie, um, they're making uh, some headlines again. 
CNN ran a story this week about Fannie and Freddie on the va- on the verge of paying back their full bailout amount, and um, now it's it's a uh, for so for the fourth quarter they made so much money that they're likely to report enough earnings which will result in them paying back more than more than the original 187 million they collectively borrowed, um, which actually means the bailout turns profitable in terms of what the agencies are doing. Um, and remember that we are still, uh, the treasury still a, a stockholder. So if you got stock because you bailed out and then receive all of your money back and then continue to be a stockholder, that's a pretty good gig. Um, but there are some people that are pretty upset about that. Do, doesn't the treasury own like, 60 some percent of Fannie and Freddie I'm not positive what it is but I know it's a pretty substantial amount I read what you're talking about I read that some of the other private shareholders are upset they think that as Fannie and Freddie repay the debt the Treasury should be selling or giving back some of the just stock, turning it back turning it back so that their shares become more profitable I have or, a fundamental more, problem with that more valued I mean I understand that you want to like come after the government and be all mad about that they're getting an unfair share of an enterprise here but but what if they didn't step in <laughs> it was totally decimated and you remember what was happening to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stock i mean it was absolutely nil and the company both of them neither of them were viable in any way yeah. without intervention yeah. not to mention the the implosion of each of these entities wreaking widespread havoc as total loss of confidence completely in i mean if you if you cook it down to that that final issue here is like you know Fannie and Freddie don't they don't necessarily buy every loan but they do help keep all of the uh they create a standard. They create a standard. So yeah, they're gonna. I was was gonna say they keep a, a normalization within the market. Everybody understands what a Fannie Mae loan is, and when that was totally on the rocks and verge of, I mean, total disaster and collapse, we intervened. We being the American taxpayer, and and really girded these companies up, helped get them uh, to weather the storm. And it's great now that they're profitable. I couldn't disagree more that the Treasury should give up any of that stock interest that they have in the company. If anything, it's like, break it down to private enterprise. If you're floundering and totally about to fail in your business and some investor comes in with a lump of cash and also demands um, an ownership interest for the future profitability of the company once the storm's navigated, that's pretty commonplace. I mean, angel investors want long-term stake right right and the alternative for the shareholders was going to zero and having nothing to show for your investment and now these people stepped in with a you know these people again the u.s taxpayer stepped in with boatloads of cash and now you, you have something of value and by the way it wasn't without risk right there was no guarantee was that no this money out this. was gonna happen right no guarantee that you couldn't you know, the idea here is that this intervention and bailout was going to allow these companies to to get kind of back to normal. And and the scope of lending has changed a lot since Fannie and Freddie were put into conservatorship going on six years ago now. There's also no question that 
the saving of Fanny and Freddie is, I mean, we have that to thank for the, for the stability of housing today. What, what would have been the course without a, an intervention that saved Fanny and Freddie? It's hard to know. Um, the bottom line is you wouldn't have confidence in the market. And I don't think property values would have stabilized or appreciated. So that's a, that's an interesting one. I think it's funny. All of the politicians are still trying to decide what's going to happen with Fannie and Freddie. Are they going to get unwound completely and leave the market to its own devices? Are they going to turn it into a public utility? Will it become a private enterprise again? Um, should it just be a government agency uh, that is running more or less the way that it is today with the Treasury reaping the benefits of um, profitability? I think I err on that side, which I don't generally I'm not a big proponent of government having more control or being involved in something else like this. But the uh, you, you read about director at Fannie Mae, they make some good money. I, the people that work at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac make a lot of good money. Um, it is a really good business. It doesn't seem to have real issue right now the way that, that it's running. And my favorite summation of the why you can be so upset about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac over what happened these last few years is that for years on end, they privatized profit. And then when they had deep losses, those were made public. So... Now let's make the let's make the profit public for a while, right? I uh, yeah. I mean, I I think things are working great. I th it has less to do with the structure than just the retooling of the credit criteria. I mean, now we're we're in an environment where everything's fully documented, everything's known. It's you know we're we're underwriting full packages when it comes to evaluating a, a borrower so that's really helped clean things up um but i i like the government being involved because in theory anyway they should have the american public's best interest at heart and they can keep their eye on what's going on because we've heard you know we're only 11 or so years into our mortgage careers but we've heard from people who've been in this business a lot longer than us that it comes back around the whole mortgage business cycles and you know while today credit standards might be very tight um, it'll loosen up they've seen it before they've seen things tighten up and loosen and tighten and loosen and so most industry veterans ex expect guidelines to loosen back up so I think it's good that there's someone who should have the public's best interest in mind that's going to keep their eye and make sure that things don't get too loose like they did in the early 2000s. Do you think, though, that... Because you can't count on private, the private investment banks to do that. We've already seen that they're motivated by profits, and some might take it to an extreme and say greed, and, and you just can't trust the private investment banks to regulate the guidelines over time, I don't think. Do you think that this wide-reaching um, control that the Dodd-Frank bill has had is going to prevent that credit loosening that, I mean... No, I think there's... I do think there's going to be a loosening, but I think that risk is going to have to be bared by the, the issuer of those looser credit guidelines. I think that... With Dodd-Frank, it's been very clear that there are standards that need to be upheld for you to relinquish 
as you as the creditor to be able to relinquish all of the risk when you sell the the loan off you have to meet certain standards if you want to lend outside of those standards it's allowed you can do stated income loans you can do higher debt to income ratio loans you can do these riskier mortgages but you're going to have to maintain some risk in that in that asset if you want to do that over the long term over the long term over the life of that loan yeah and you know that we don't talk too much about the the qualified mortgage criteria and stuff because i don't i don't know that it impacts the average person uh, you know i most people will fall into under the the new dodd frank rules of a qualified mortgage most people are going to fall into qualifying for a really standard loan um and most so therefore most lenders are going to err on just making those loans and um, what you're talking about, just to kind of clarify this issue for the listeners, is that a non-qualified mortgage now means that the originator has to keep a long-term stake in that asset. Um, the idea being that if I'm making a loan to you today for $400,000 and I'm going to have it on my books for six days, never even receiving a single payment from you before I sell it to the next guy that's going to put it into a long-term portfolio, believing that the, the, that loan is going to perform and, and be a, a top grade a, investment quality for, for 30 years. Um, I don't, I don't have the same level of care and concern during the origination process than if I made you a $400,000 loan, and because it didn't meet some certain criteria, I'm required to keep a $20,000 stake in that loan forever. And that's ultimately really what these guidelines are, are, are lining us up for. So today, there's not a lot of lenders that are making those non-qualified loans. I think it's because it's early and they're not sure about the environment yet. Also, there's still enough agency business around that it's not totally necessary. When it comes down to it and volume slows even further, I do think we're going to see banks begin to, to figure out what they um, are willing to do and, and also what their balance sheets will allow them to do in terms of keeping that stake in that loan. In the beginning, it was discussed that originators would always keep a 5% stake in every loan, which that would absolutely decimate the entire mortgage industry on account of uh, a busy company that does $10 million a month doesn't have the capital to keep stake in that. You know, if it's 10 million bucks a month, 5% is what? Um, 500 grand? Is that right? I think so. That's a lot of zeros to keep track of, but 500 grand. It puts an endpoint on for some smaller lenders on how much of that type of product they can. You could originate. be in business for a month. I mean, the reality is, and they, so you add that up month over month over month. Now, all of a sudden, you have a company that their their capital is tied up in a loan and they've lost liquidity. And so what in the end, it means that it keeps them from being able to do a high volume of loans, which then means that lenders become few and far between that actually have the capital to be able to do this. It really muddies the water with the kind of investors that are going to be able to offer loans and buy these loans. So 
it ultimately would be radical credit tightening. So it's it's nice that that's not how it ultimately fell. They left room for companies to be able to do that. They're going to have to have a lot of capital and and honestly almost a life spring of capital. You're going to have to have a way if you're doing a hundred million dollars a month, you're going to have to have a way to put up a, a million, five million dollars every month into keeping that money tied up. And there's just not, there's not a good way to do that. Companies don't have that kind of liquidity, which brings us full circle. That's what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac has done, has allowed people to write loans to a certain criteria where everybody understands it. And there isn't a need for somebody to keep that stake in it so they could sell it get their money back and have money to lend to the next borrower, keep the credit market moving, keep home ownership stable, if not increasing. Um, and that was really, really at risk with Fannie and Freddie being on the rocks. And then additionally with some of these far reaching regulations. So in terms of that cycle you talk about where it goes from a, a really the pendulum swings to really conservative everybody's batting down and afraid not lending on on little risky deals that feel edgy all the way over to the other loosey-goosey side where people are dropping credit score requirements they're raising loan to values they're allowing people to take cash out they're removing penalties for investment properties they're just letting things get real loosey-goosey and this last swing, didn't we see the total worst case scenario of how fast and loose you could get with loans? hundred oh, yeah. percent negatively amortizing loans. Um, with no documentation. With no documentation, no need for credit. Um, I mean, they even waived residency requirements. There was so, it was so far removed from anything um, logical. It just didn't even make sense. And you know, it's funny, you look at the loan products today, and I always tell people it's like, yeah, there's a lot that you're going to have to verify and sometimes double verify, we're going to be making sure in every way that you have the total ability to repay this loan for the foreseeable future. Um, this is the kind of loan if I was loaning out grandma's money, or loaning out my own money, this is the kind of money that's being loaned out today. Um, 10 years ago, you weren't going to loan out your own money. No way for, for that no credit, no income, no asset, 100% financed, um, negatively amortizing loan to, you know, it just you wouldn't, you couldn't, you had no confidence at all in an ability to repay. There was no variable by which you believed you could be repaid. The only thing you could hope for was that appreciation would make you whole if you had a non-performing loan. So it it's been it's been a good cleansing. Um, it'll be interesting to see in coming years as things do loosen up a little bit. How loose are they going to be able to get? And if the government stays involved in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, do you think they'll let them go back to um, stated income loans? Which the first generation of a stated income loan is usually what they call that fast and easy. You know, for you high qualified borrowers with lots of equity and great credit, we don't want to we don't want to harass you too badly by making you haul in those tax returns and turn in your pay stubs and W twos. So we'll just take your word for it. How far? I mean, is it how far is it going to go? It's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine right now. We'll we'll see. I I do. Yeah, it, isn't it though? But let's say let's look at this from the backside though. Ten years ago, 
if you sat down with yourself today to talk about the state of the mortgage business, you would be in utter and sheer disbelief. And as you walked away from that conversation, you this is what you'd be thinking. How bad is the correction going to be? How deep the cut and losses? How crazy is it going to be to be able to survive that transition of going from this to what they describe in 2014? It's a, it, the landscape is so different. It would be, it'd be hard to believe. It'd be a hard sell. Somebody said, you're, a second will be nearly impossible to get, and you won't be able to do a stated anything loan. You'll have to triply verify everything. You would say, I don't know how that's possible. Yet, here we are. Hey, folks, it's middle of the hour, so we're going to go ahead and take the first commercial break here of the show. We got back. When we get back, we got more to talk about, so do stick around. You're listening to Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm. Beats all you never saw, been in trouble with a law since the day they was born. All right, everybody, welcome back. That there, that song takes me straight back to like sitting on the living room floor watching Dukes of Hazard every day. Did you have a General E car? Oh, you betcha. Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. In fact, when I heard the opening notes of that song, it reminded me 
Um, first of all, two things. My brother and I dressed up as Bo and Luke Duke one year for Halloween, and that was good times. We did good, Bo and Luke Duke. But I had a um, the Dukes of Hazard uh, sheet and uh, comforter set. I have a Dukes of Hazard lunchbox still. Nice. That's yes. probably worth some money. Missing the thermos, though. Darn it. Yeah, it, it, <sighs> it really only has good value if you have the thermos with yeah. it. I'll have to go through, find some things, hopefully. Yeah. Good time. Hey, great pick. That that one um, takes me back. I like the Dukes of Hazard. Um, hey, so we shared at the end of the year in 2013 that the 10-year the bond yield started out uh, started the year at 1.75, and it closed the year at 3.03. That's really big movement. I think almost the entire movement happened from June to December. It was pretty stable for the first part of the year. And yeah, I bring this up because last week when we did the show, the 10-year was down to about 2.67 was about where it was. And this week it closed out a bit higher, um, 2.76. And uh, it's interesting to me because in, in what's happened over the last couple of months here with the tapering and the movement that's gone on in the market, um, this week that bond yield went up on account of um, our new Federal Reserve chairman gave a, um, a testimony here before the House Financial Services Committee. And I didn't get to see the whole thing. I read the Cliff Notes version of it. Um, so this is Janet Yellen's first testimony um, before the committee. And her remarks led to um, a little bit of a run-up in the yield on those, on those um, treasuries. And she, she really says that she sees accommodation happening here for a long time still a long time and i remember you know we've been doing the show for a while but i remember um a few years ago saying we expect interest rates i mean the and the fed set these expectations they told us they expected interest rates to be at this level probably until 2015 and they reiterated that i th i think uh bernanke reiterated that last month in his or was it earlier this month, in his final testimony. His, yeah, his exit interview. Saying that they're looking to wind down the mortgage-backed security and treasury purchases, the quantitative easing program. They want to wind that down by, the, by December of this year, but they're not looking to touch that Fed funds interest rate, which is currently at zero to a quarter percent, um, until sometime in 2015. Right. And we also learned this month that they're, they're – attempting today to fully disconnect that rationale of a six and a half percent unemployment rate um, as a trigger point to start modifying policy they they there no longer is there any correlation between that six and a half percent unemployment rate and this comes I mean, it's kind of a timely statement um, and in a direction of policy here because we've had 
kind of a unemployment rate falling for a couple months in a row just due to terrible participation and absolutely terrible job growth. So do you think they're realized that that's a realization that's driving them wanting to disconnect? I do. Policy with the, I really with the do. actual rate because the rate doesn't tell the whole story and we've been Yeah, and you got to describe that for a while now. You got to I don't want to go all the way down the rabbit hole here, but here's the Here's my summation of this. Um, the definition of the unemployment rate was changed, in my opinion, to keep up public morale. To not have to actually be broadcasting how terrible it really is. Counting these people that have hit the uh, end of their unemployment benefits as retired, um, that's new stuff. People dropping out of the job market because they're disinterested and not looking. I mean, and, and this is why, um, is it the U6? Is that the one, Dan? Am I getting the... Uh, the, I, the more accurate? Yeah, which rate. talks yeah, more U6. about... The U3 unemployment is the one that's generally reported. The U6 is the underemployment rate. That's usually, I mean, really not usually, but currently it's... It's been between 16 and 18%, something like that. But we don't talk too much about that. Doesn't get a lot of press, no. And the reason is, is that it doesn't actually boost up public morale. <laughs> Why would it? It's a lot higher. And when you're looking at this idea of, you know, is the economy getting better or worse? And, and is it a, our country better off for or as a result of all of the work that's gone into um Taken on how much debt do we have today? It's like sixteen or seventeen, 17 trillion. trillion a like lot, probably pushing eighteen trillion now. I'm not positive you want about me to the dial number. up the debt clock. I, I don't look at it, man. It reminds me of like, you know, if you if you've ever gotten sideways on a credit card, where like seventeen point two nine two trillion and yeah. counting. But have you have you ever like? You use your credit card for a few weeks and then you get the bill and you're kind of like horrified at how much it is as you just don't and you almost don't even want to open it. I think that that's kind of how I feel now about the debt. It's it's a big number, not positive of the exit strategy here on how we're going to pay the whole thing back. Uh, but the reality is, is that we've committed an awful lot of money and this recession um, I mean, granted, we're no longer defined as in a recession, but the employment market still feels like a recession. Um, it, we've, we've put so much into this, and the jobs creation is miserable. We're not creating the jobs that we need to be creating. So I do think that the feds, they understand the true... Um, importance of job growth and getting us back on track and, and getting the unemployment rate to fall as a result of reaching maximum employment as opposed to not counting folks that um, want to work but can't. So I do think that when they sit down and hatch this stuff out behind closed doors, they're taking into consideration the true unemployment numbers, not what the headlines are telling us. And that's why they're attempting to disconnect that. Because doesn't it exacerbate the problem, Dan? If if you see a 6.5% unemployment rate, as, and you've been led to believe that that's going to trigger interest rates um, perhaps beginning to rise, if, if so, 
it kind of it could potentially compound the problem. So it's almost like the feds are expecting the unemployment rate to hit six and a half percent next month and are already kind of foaming the runway um, to try to just prevent any catastrophes that they don't want to happen because hitting six and a half in this way is not what they envisioned when they talked about um, an environment in which they would see it a good idea to raise interest rates. Right. So it's 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 not a result of strength. Yeah, and and they've also said that um it's they're looking at at data points beyond just employment. They're looking at inflation too, which they're looking at manufacturing numbers, right. they're looking at sa- retail sales, they're looking at everything. Right. And and a lot of those numbers haven't been great of late. And yeah, the the unemployment, I think it's it, it's now becoming common knowledge that that unemployment rate isn't reflective of what's really going on in the labor market. Right. Um, there was a, a couple of pieces this week just to tie into the unemployment stuff here before we move on. First of all, um, there's a job cut report that comes out each month called the Challenger Job Cut. And um, the 2014 January Job Cut Report... Now, this is a... This is kind of an interesting metric here. It keeps track of planned job cuts. People that intend to lay off sales staff or so like the production big employers staff. Yeah. that make big announcements like that. Yeah, and and frankly, some of those in, in an industry, if if there's an overall industry that's going through some contraction and they're planning to go through big layoffs, they it, that trickles down. So it's worth tracking. The Challenger job cut report says that planned cuts were up 50% in the month of January. That's not what you want to see. That's not what you want to have happen. You want to look forward to this um, planned layoffs diminishing. And how how about some planned hirings? That might lead you to believe that maybe uh, March's employment report is going to be a good one. Um, it, that doesn't bode well there. And then additionally, on Thursday, as we learn every Thursday... Uh, we found out about initial jobless claims. Um, they were expected to be higher, and they were. They were expected um, plus 8,000. That's exactly what happened. So, again, um, 339,000 people showed up for initial unemployment, uh, first-time jobless claim um, last week. And that's really not good either. I mean, that number is lower than what it has been, but it was it's trending, trending higher. Yeah. It's trending higher in the recent few months. We had like nine out of 12 readings were down for a while, and now we're getting back to about a 50-50, and the net four-week moving average is growing. There are more people on average every month coming for unemployment than there were in the prior month, and that's not good. So... Uh, there's a soft spot in the jobs market for sure. And for these reasons, the feds are wanting everyone to be aware that they're not tying the interest rates to the unemployment rate the way they said they were. And overall, it kind of makes you wonder why are they continuing to taper when they said it was going to be closely monitored um, and based on sustained job growth and all this kind of thing. Um, and now from Yellen's testimony, we're really led to believe that it's not something that um, I mean, yeah, I think they'd intervene and stop the the bond buying or, or 
not the buying, the but the tapering, um, if we really had like a train wreck. But for right now, the message seems to be we're on a track and we're going to stick to it. For right now, I mean, it's just the weather. It's just the cold weather. It's cold. It's the polar vortex. Right. <laughs> that's, that's it. It's a polar vortex. We all know that. Hey, we've got Jeff from Los Osos calling in. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Jeff. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing well. How are you this morning? Good. I uh, just want to uh, throw in a few uh, ideas. Please do. The uh, Well, you know, to look back into the recent history, it was in 2000, September of 2008, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a uh, run on the money market, um, then they were going to uh, have to get some cash fast, and they passed a $700 billion tax incentive. Um, and then after that, you know, they tried that to do that again. Nobody was going to get elected. So um, the government has been printing out phony money, cash, water for the big fish or the small fish. Uh, the, the fish need water. They need cash. Uh, and they need cash, dollar, bill, money, cash. And that's what makes the world go around. And the rest of the world is accepting the U.S. dollar bill on face value. And so is it really wrong for the government to print <laughs> 40 billion dollars bills, I mean, you know, like that to because everybody seems to be very happy when there's plenty of cash and I'll, I'll just take my answer off the air okay thanks for calling jeff we do appreciate it you've got a great memory by the way september was the the critical point in this um this economy that, that we've gone through that's when the that's when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were placed into conservatorship was September um, of 2008. That is when Lehman Brothers was uh, allowed to begin their bankruptcy filings. That is when the Dow, already um, significantly down from its highs, went in a free fall from about oh, 11 or 12,000 down to, I think, what did it bottom out at, around 6,000? All that really started taking place in September. That's that's when the crisis was fully fully functioning, <laughs> I guess, or yeah. dysfunctioning, um, and that led us to the the large cash infusions to save these entities. The, that's kind of what we opened the show with. Was you know we we jumped in and we saved Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which effectively saved housing. Which arguably saved the whole economy. May have saved the world. <laughs> may have, may have saved the world. Honestly, you can't, you can't really, uh, you can't know exactly what that intervention prevented. Um, but the smartest 
heads in the economy of the United States agreed that that was the appropriate course. Sure. Um, the, I, in terms of the money thing, it's this is hard. This feels like abstract thinking to me. I mean, I, I got disinterested in math in college when we got into imaginary numbers. Okay. I don't get this idea of printing money um, and putting it into the economy. In, in, I tend to think of it this way. The, the way now that we no longer have the gold standard, ultimately the feds by way of the treasury have infinite amount of dollars, right? We look to their discretion and their use of pushing money in and out of the economy as a one of the tools to control um, the business environment. I mean, that's to me, I think that's the lowest common denominator here. If it's overheating and just going crazy nuts, they can suck some money out of the economy and and cause a little bit of a slowdown to, to prevent a full on overheating fire. At the same time, when you're frozen, which is what we faced in 2008, everyone hunkered down into full-blown lockdown mode. And the Fed said, hey, here's some ridiculously cheap money, and we're going to flood the market with it. You don't need to be concerned about hoarding and freaking out. There's enough money for all, and it makes it cheaper. Um, the the only real valid argument I hear about why that's a terrible idea is that it can create runaway inflation. And the feds then at the next turn would have to be sucking that money back out to try to cool off uh, a runaway inflating market. And so the fact that this money came in and did thaw the market and make business friendly and encourage people to both borrow, lend, spend, consume. I mean, it, it told everybody, hey, it, this is a, an artificial way to create a business environment that's good. Um, is that problematic? I don't feel like it is. It's easy. I feel like it's easy to hop on this bandwagon of getting pissed at the government for just printing money because that's like this. It's kind of like this. I don't know. It's it, to me, it's like a misnomer where you just don't really understand it. So, at the going back to my original statement, our government has infinite dollars today. Uh, at least that's I think how I perceive it, and and therefore the way they use it within discretion, as long as they don't upset too many other countries or or abuse that, um, then we're we're really okay. And they have the ability to take money back out of the economy too. So net net what happened? Well, the TARP money, huge success. Businesses that we with that we girded up and, and prevented from failing, huge success. Solving the housing crisis by way of a, a several different um, things they did bailing out Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, offering tax credits, removing uh, short sale tax lien penalties, all these kinds of things. A lot of policy to accommodate a market that was cattywampus and now pretty well straightened back out and heading down a path again. How can you really be upset at that? Now, the end result is all of this money in, all of this time spent, everything we've done, we're not totally out of the woods yet, and there's still a major soft spot in jobs. Well, as far as the 
the the printing of money. Don't you kind of feel like we're in about oh the fifth inning maybe of a of a nine inning ball game here where there's still we have we have the home stretch. We have to figure out how to start to extract some of this money back out in a in a manner that's not going to upset the markets and not going to freeze refreeze them again. Um, yeah, you're right, and and. To some degree, like we're just isolating only a part of that, but that's what tapering's about. It's about stopping the printing press. So now, once the printing press is, has completely stopped, what we're being told is by the end of this year, will they then go the next step and start to raise interest start rates? Start to buy some of these bonds back? You don't know. I don't know. the The other part of this, too, of course, is that in terms of working with a balanced budget that actually creates a surplus so that we can pay back this debt um, is likely to result in cuts in spending as well as increased taxes. So all of that is cuts in spending equals taking money out of the market, doesn't it? Raising taxes equals taking money out of the market, doesn't it? Um, so you get to this point where... Uh, Really, what they want is for the economy to get hot, and then and then that forces them to cool it off. By as it gets hot, then they can start taking away without freezing. Right. And the reality is, I think at the fourth quarter of 2013, we were bordering on hot. We were creating good jobs. Um, the housing market was good. Uh, there was a month in there where initial jobless claims were two months, actually, where it was less than 300,000. There were months where we were exceeding expectations in job growth. Um, it was it was getting hot. And, you know, this is what reminds me how delicate this stuff is, is that we barely talked about taking some out and it put a major wet blanket on almost across the board. So if anything, you know, and here's the other thing too. The United States is a young country. You can't forget that. The Federal Reserve is also a pretty young organization as far as history uh, in the in global economies. There's not a whole lot of uh, experience on using monetary policy to really navigate a recession or depression, right? I mean, we learned... Uh, we learned these lessons that the feds needed more tools in the bag after the Great Depression. We got all this stuff together. Um, this is probably arguably a, a great big experiment where we suspect that we understand pushing this button or pulling this string is going to move this piece of the market or whatever. But it's not tested and true. No, the the whole idea of a central bank has only been around for a little over a hundred years. I mean, it's not something that we have centuries or millenniums of experience with. It's, right. it's very new. And, and then we haven't had a lot of crises to go through during that hundred year period. Uh, so you, major economic when you liken it to, I, I, I kind of got on that little rant on account of you said, don't you feel like out of the nine innings that were in the fifth inning or something? I don't know because when you say nine innings, that gives me this finite amount of time where now I can draw some conclusions to what to what are parallels to what I know about baseball. Hey, we got the seventh inning stretch. It means they stop selling <laughs> beer and get people ready to drive. You stand up, sing a song, shake your legs out, and get ready to see a middle reliever, you know, 
bring way for a closer. You see pinch runners. And, I think you're getting. Like, you know what I'm saying though. There's, but there's all of that stuff that you know from the way that game is played. And in this case, we have no idea how this game is played, how long it goes. And I don't think back in 2008 in September, I don't think that the average person expected by 2014 that it would be resolved. I don't. I don't know that we. I mean, is it 2020? That seems excessively long. Most of these cycles are like a seven-year cycle. So the reality <laughs> is you can't even actually pair these things up because people say, Yeah, but oh, you're, well. that, you're assuming that this is like other downturns in the economy, and it's not. It's completely I unlike. could argue that point all day. We never had such a run-up and, and bust in a real estate market as a result of these crazy loans right so why should this recovery be like any other or be like any other cycle it's not it's not going to be and so if it's two or three times as bad does that mean it's a 14 to 21 year recovery it could go extras it feels like the feds (laughs) are telling us it is you know and then and then out of desperation you end up bringing the center fielder into pitch (laughs) i i mean that's the whole that's the whole thing for me is that at the whole end of the day, it's hard for me to totally judge whether or not the Fed's doing the right thing by printing money and taking on debt and doing everything they've done. I don't know what the alternative is. I don't know if this is going to work or not. I'm glad that we didn't just let everything implode and have uh, a, you know, an inability to, to get financing, even like at the mortgage level, just financing to the average American. And, and we we did, we preserved that. And um, I think that prevented the further spread of like the wealth classes. I, I That's what I think. Well, when evaluating the success of all these programs that began being impl- implemented in 2008, don't we just look across the pond over to Europe and see how they were doing? They, they opted for austerity, which was the, what, just not not spending out of control, not propping up their economy in in that way that we did. So don't we just compare how their recovery went to ours and figure out if we made the right decision? Do they have $17.5 trillion debt? <laughs> I don't know. Hard saying not knowing. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, hey, we're getting to the top of the hour here, so we're going to – We're going to be forced out into a break. When we get back, we got a lot more to talk about. Um, There were some trade deficit numbers, uh, retail sales, import-export prices, consumer sentiment, bank earnings came out. Um, Dan and I talked a little bit during the last break off-air about Wells Fargo. And they're they're playing some games right now. So we got we do have a lot to talk about. Want to invite you guys to stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon. Your host, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
Angels. Huh. Jeez. That's who I'm root, root, rooting for. Pretty excited, too. Yeah? Yeah, you know, spring training's pretty uh, close to kicking off here. You know what's exciting about it is it, I think as soon as spring training begins, you let go of what happened last season. You know, it's like that's officially behind you now. It's a new season. Mm. It's all this to look forward to. The A's, man. I know you're an A's fan. That's yeah. got to be tough. Tough? Yeah, every year you're just so close. So close. We've won the division two years in a row. Yeah, the division. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. If you don't win at all, it's not even worth winning. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even worth the division. Second place is a loser. Yeah. What's third place? Major the loser. Angels. <laughs> yeah, easy. <laughs> we should make bets this year. Oh, wow. Hey, guys, on this hour of the show, we're going to take phone calls, answer questions. I've been emailed two questions this morning that. Wow. Uh, we'll get to in a minute here. So 543-8830 is the number to call in. 543-8830. First phone call here. We got Rick calling from beautiful San Luis Obispo. Good morning, Rick. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Yeah, hi. You guys are really on fire today. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, I I just have a, a couple of comments and a question. Uh, the comments are about the Federal Reserve. And because you guys were touching on the the lack of experience we have with that. Um, when uh, when Ronald Reagan became president, the uh, national debt was less than a billion dollars, and that was, was that after, a B? Yeah, B. Wow. And that was after. Uh, oh wait a minute, maybe it was a trillion. No, no, no I think maybe it was a billion. Billion? I think it was a billion. I'll uh, look it up. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm not sure, but in any event, uh, <laughs> it might have been it might have been a trillion. But um, uh, that was after seven years of uh, or six years of uh, rampant inflation following the Vietnam War. So Nixon had held down uh, prices and wages during the Vietnam War, and then he decontrolled it. And that, plus the Arab boycott and the decontrol of interest rates on the banks. Uh, allowed for rampant inflation, and and nonetheless we were up to what I, whatever it was a trillion dollars or whatever, but um, so all, all that all that money growth sixteen trillion dollars or seventeen whatever you said it was that's all like pretty much since 1980, and what they started at the time was micromanaging the the money supply as a way of they thought they could control the whole economy using micromanagement techniques, and that had never been tried before, and it wasn't even uh, considered credible by most uh, top economists. It was like it was the Chicago School, Milton Friedman and those guys, and they had this monstrous idea, and, and it definitely benefited uh, bankers and people like that, but there was a real question as to whether it would be any good for the economy. And... Uh, the, you know, the economy has gone through just all kinds of turmoil since then. There, there have been uh, one bust after another. You know, the, during the Reagan time, it was a real bust, and then during uh, during George uh, Bush Senior's time, 
the savings and loans went belly up. And then uh, uh, Clinton just kind of barely got things together, and George Bush Jr. got in there and and uh, doubled the total amount of uh, money um, debt that had occurred during Reagan and Bush Sr., which had, I think, quint- or quadrupled the amount of national debt. So it was... You know, it's been really crazy, and so it's it's a real question as to whether that system of uh, manipulating money supply is really the way to go as far as business, because money uh, is supposed to be uh, a constant value. Uh, it only has it only has value if it's a neutral thing, and. Uh, uh, the the real value is the goods and services that are being exchanged. But what's happened is we've made money into a commodity, and that has really destabilized the economic system of, of manufacturing and, and providing services because you never know what anything's worth because they keep changing the value of the money. So the question, um, the question I have, well, also I, I have to mention that it's not the federal government printing money. The the Federal Reserve is is really a separate and private entity, and the government itself is borrowing the money from the Federal Reserve, which is crazy, because the government actually, before the institution of the Federal Reserve, had the ability to print money, and it wasn't going into debt. So, you know, that's I think a lot healthier than the Federal Reserve just. Uh, kind of going crazy and the government having to borrow it, creating these huge debts, and then being unable to provide the services and other things that the, the government is really there to provide us, you know? So it's kind of hamstrung the government. Um, so my question is, uh, when the Federal Reserve uh, is doing this quantitative easing, I think I've heard that it's mainly buying up treasuries. Is, is that true? Right now, it's split 50-50 between treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. So, and this is this is specific, really, to QE3. Um, QE3, it was indefinite in term, but $85 billion a month, where half was going towards short-term treasuries and the other half was going towards mortgage-backed securities. And so far, they've tapered equal amounts out of both. Um, and and that by the way that's a really interesting thing because when the feds make these little moves as far as tapering and talking about tapering and the kind of things they're looking for to begin the tapering is having a different and sometimes disconnected impact on the treasury market versus what's happening in the mortgage-backed securities market for example when they announced um tapering obviously those those yields in the treasuries went up in the mortgage-backed securities they went up too as time wore on the second round of tapering actually lowered the yields uh in the in the treasury and increased interest rates a little bit which was a strange disconnect in the mortgage market and then over the last few weeks here we've actually seen a drop in mortgage-backed securities um in their yields where uh, in this last week, the treasury yields have actually gone up. So they're, they're sort of functioning a little bit different. It's, it is both are a function of supply and demand, though, with a, a perceived risk and value. 
Are, are these secondary markets, are, are they resale, or are they actually buying that, uh, those government securities directly from the government, and the government's getting the money? Um, the Treasury is actually putting up auctions every week, and you can actually monitor the auctions to see what they're putting up and in how much. Um, but yeah, there it, it is direct from the government. I mean, there is a resale market that these guys trade around and bar balance portfolios, but the the big auctions that the Treasury is holding are happening um, most every week, and and you can track them too. It's it's also it depends how much you like this stuff, but seeing the the bid to cover ratio and and who's as far as direct and indirect bidders, the buyers of these things, who's buying them, um, it, it's kind of fascinating stuff. Is that what the Fed's buying though? Are they buying it directly from the government? The reason I'm asking is because. You know, we we all complain about uh, there's all this money, but where is it? You know, it's it's not really passing through the general economy. So I'm just wondering, when the Fed is injecting this money, where it's going? I'm not positive. I I mean, we could we can look further into it to to better answer the question. I. I think that in in terms of the in in terms of the mortgage backed securities when when we're buying mortgage backed securities as the treasury making the purchases that I do believe that that money's hitting the street pretty regularly um it has such a direct correlation to interest rates in, in terms of mortgages for example when people compete and buy these mortgage-backed securities and it, it's driving those yields down um, and, and competing with the government that's out there to buy these securities against private enterprises that likewise are looking for these sound long-term investments. Um, it, it definitely shows when there's a good demand on those auctions, it, it drives interest rates down immediately. Um, and so when that happens, the banks, whoever it is that's um you know putting the loans out into these securities are getting their capital back to be able to offer more and to be able to keep the whole thing churning and i think we all realize the benefit of that i mean that's part of the stabilization of the housing market and if you talk to your neighbor who refinanced and was able to save 300 bucks a month that he's now able to spend in um i don't know healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> wherever that money's going. I, gets... I, heard, I heard that um, one of the things that was uh, happening with the Fed is that they were lending money to the big banks at almost no interest rate, and then the big banks were buying up the government securities and um, getting, making their income off of that as opposed to lending it. So they weren't lending money. They were buying government securities and basically – uh, having a no-risk income stream, uh, courtesy of the Fed. Are you familiar with that? I I know that they're borrowing from the Fed at a zero to quarter percent rate. So yeah, very little interest on the money they're borrowing from the Fed. As far as whether banks are are buying um, the Treasuries, I I think there's some element of truth to that. I, I think they do. You know, they have investment sides of their banks where they are seeking out investments and safe yields are attractive in an uncertain market. So they're they probably are investing, but I don't know that they're the primary buyers of the Treasuries. I, you know, we know that foreign governments are big buyers. China and Japan are big holders. I think number one and number two of 
of U.S. debt. Mm-hmm. So I, well, I don't I know how the banks stack that up. Money is going overseas from the Fed, and I, I'm not sure what that's about. Some people are saying they've been propping up the whole world banking system, which doesn't surprise me in the least, since the United States basically bankrupted the, <laughs> the world banking system. You know, there is some requirement too, though, that bidders be um, some of the the Federal Reserve banks from around the country here that they have to participate in these auctions and and carry some of the debt too. I, I I'm not positive what the ratio is that goes. I think the, there's like 19 um, entities or banks that are required to participate in these auctions, and those are your direct bidders, and then you have your indirect bidders. And so that's a metric that we look at at these auctions is and, the percentage of direct versus indirects. And I'm pretty sure it's close – it's the majority of the debt stays on American soil from what I can tell, but, um, the majority of the money. Yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I think, (laughs) I think it's, it's one of the mysteries, you know, that, uh, that has baffled people because with that much money going out, you'd think our economy would be booming. But one of the biggest problems has been that the banks have been really reticent to lend it to businesses, you know, well, not to mention the real estate community. Yeah, lending standards, I mean, they're, they're scared for sure. Making loans is a hard thing. The other thing that you got to remember, too, though, is that um, the banks, by way of Basel, have been required to beef up balance sheets in unprecedented ways. And when you look at the amount of money that these banks are holding, it's more than ever before. I mean, from the time that Obama said these banks were too big to fail and needed to be reduced in stature, they've more than doubled their assets. Yeah, yeah that's been uh, – every time I hear that criticism of banks that they're not lending, you have to look at the the policies that they're that – they're, adhering to and they have they were they were so highly leveraged and that was required to be wound down some banks were 30 to 40 to 1 30 or 40 to 1 um leverage ratios and they needed to get those cut in half or more so at the same time they're receiving money they have to retain it they can't just go and lend it out yeah i'm not really criticizing them necessarily i'm just analyzing the the situation and trying to figure out you know where the money is going but also looking at why the economy is not doing better because if the banks aren't lending the money and and you know there's been a lot of criticism at, at pretty high business levels about the banks not lending money because they're saying you know they were given all this money so they would lend it that was supposed to be one of the reasons for the federal reserve pumping all that money into the banking system and they're not lending it yeah it's the old left hand whether or not aware of what the right hand's doing, they're they're kind of counterproductive in this measure. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just wanted to throw all that into the mix. <laughs> hey, thanks, Rick. We appreciate it. Okay. Switching gears a little bit. Oh, you want? Okay. Yeah. Break time. Jim, wake up. I know you have a couple of other questions that I do. Emailed, so yeah. We'll get to those, and I but... know you're going to do great at answering this first <laughs> oh, one. Boy. I can't wait. <laughs> um, hey, so let's do a break then. It's 1121. We'll be back in a couple minutes for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital 
vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. That last commercial, I know you were listening. Were you listening? Well, it wasn't even exactly the commercial, but at the end of the little break there, Scott does the voiceover that says, check out Mm centralcoastlending.com. I just happen to be checking out centralcoastlending.com right now. Wow. Uh, In the scroll by, oh, what am I seeing? Stocks drop, mortgage rates dip on Chinese economy. The USDA loan is extended and expanded to be more encompassing than ever. Um, Central Coast Lending adds rare manufactured and mobile home loans. Man, what a lob for me there because here was the question that I received by way of email. And it says, I'm desperate. I can't find lending for my manufactured home. It seems nobody offers financing on these types of properties. What are my options with Central Coast Lending? Wow. We do those. Yeah. We can lend on manufactured homes. But I do so I do for- know exactly what this person's talking about. It's it's a challenge to find that kind of financing. It's not available at every banking institution or mortgage institution. There are, it comes in different shapes and sizes, the mobile home loans that are available. And um, 
to be totally fair, because there have been a fair amount of people in the last um, handful of years I've called the company looking for mobile home financing. We recently filled a pretty major hole with the ability to do um, loans ultimately for housing that's not considered real property. You got to tread lightly in this because us real estate licensed folks understand um, the definitions and all this different terminology. But in in terms of real estate, real property is like totally affixed to the ground, virtually deemed immovable, and it has total full-on real estate use rights protection. Um, and, and think of stick-built home. Um, the flip side of the coin is there is housing, like um, manufactured or mobile home type of stuff, which is, um, by definition, it's not necessarily affixed a to the ground. It could, in fact, still have axles and a tongue on it. Um, it could still be movable. This is then viewed as personal property. Um, instead of being tracked through the um, the database of like deed and trust and mortgage, titles oftentimes governed by Department of Motor Vehicles. So, um, for the most part, residential lenders almost across the board just totally abandoned anything that was manufactured or mobile for the large part of this recession. Decided that it was just too risky. Uh, rich history and data shows that the people that live in manufactured homes have a higher occurrence of delinquency um, foreclosure than folks who live in stick-built homes. Don't send me your hate mail. I don't want to hear about all the great people that live in mobile homes. I'm not alleging. It's not my opinion. This is straight out of Fannie Mae. They track this statistically. There's a higher occurrence of delinquency in manufactured homes. So as we were navigating all these delinquent loans with short sales and foreclosures, um, the one of the obvious we don't do that to prevent any kind of losses was manufactured homes. So that being said, the programs that are around to offer manufactured homes that have been around, uh, FHA does manufactured home lending, They and they really always have. And so um, does Fannie Mae. So does Fannie Mae. Um, so you can do FHA or Fannie Mae loan for mobile homes, and they've believe me when I tell you they've got some guidelines that you really have to adhere to. Um, the primary one being that they – that the properties are real property, that they are permanently affixed to the land on which they sit. And that that land be fee simple, which means really that you own the land that your house is permanently affixed to, even if it was mobile or manufactured in nature. And and to clarify the that it's affixed permanently to the land, that usually requires a, a special document to be recorded, a 433A which is the document that makes it official with the county recorder that this is in fact real property. Yeah, and and in going through that process, the axles and tongue are removed if they were present on a mobile home, um, likewise on a manufacturer home. It goes on some version of a foundation, be it post and pier or an actual footing, in some cases a slab, but it's, it's permanently affixed to the land. Its mobility is removed. And as critical as that is, there's this secondary component here. Well, very quickly, yeah. if those requirements are met, 
the full scope of, fa of Fannie Mae and FHA financing is available. The maximum loan to values, the same great interest rates, long, maybe it, lengthy terms. Yep, thirty-year 30 terms are huge in that arena. But so the the flip side of that is after being um, deemed real property. It has to be on owned land. It can't be in what we call the leasehold estate, which implies that you're paying space rent. Somebody ultimately has a lease to the land, implying that at end of term or some other discretionary time, the lease could be broken by one or both parties and jeopardize then the lien holder. You don't want to be a 30-year fixed on a, a four-year remaining lease where this 1980 coach might just be scraped off so that they could make room for the mini mall. That All of that stuff um, makes... I mean, so think about it. Let's let's take a little trip down South Higuera starting over here at Los Osos Valley Road. As you're cruising up, you have um, Silver Pines, Silver, Silver something estates there on the left. Um, great little park. It's got a lot of great manufactured homes in it. It's landscaped well. It's great. Um, then you move further on. Uh, there's a couple more parks on the left side of the road. Up here, Chumash Village over here um, by the cemetery. That one's huge. They've got... Uh, I don't even want to make a guess at how many homes are in there. I, I, it's in the hundreds, if not thousand for sure, manufactured homes. That's a 55 and over community. Um, so they're, they're kind of plentiful. There's another little project right there across from Smart and Final. Right in town below the Jack House, there's another lot that has a handful of mobile, mobile homes that are right there smack dab in the prime real estate of downtown San Luis Obispo. So these things are kind of all over the place in parks is where we're really familiar with them. You get out into the outskirts, um, kind of in the county, because I don't think the city would let you put a manufactured home into like a residential zoning unless it was in a mobile home zone, which generally leads way to a whole park. But you get out into the county, you can find places in the county um, where people do place a manufactured home. Santa Margarita, Tascadero, Paso Robles, Creston, Shandon, um, all over the place, those kind of things are, are, are pretty common. And in that case, when it's on owned land, um, you could do a Fannie or Freddie loan. Uh, for the rest of them, when it's on lease land or, or viewed as personal property instead of real property, now you have to do what we call a chattel loan. Um, so when you're not eligible for Fannie and Freddie, then you end up with a chattel loan. And those are different. They're, the rates are a little bit higher. The terms are a little bit shorter. Um, the they, loans themselves are not governed by the Bureau of Real Estate. Right, because it's personal property. I mean, it's almost treated like an auto loan. Mm -hmm. They're interested in the year of uh, the coach itself. What year is it? Is it you know pre or post the HUD uh, guidelines, which happened, I think, in July of 76? So... Um, but the point is, so to this person that emails, yes, um, mobile home loans are around. We're able to do them. Uh, we fancy ourselves to be experts in this arena. So, um, and by the way, that, that chattel loan, as I, I started to say earlier, that's kind of a recent addition. We're only now just seeing banks begin to come back and offer these kind of things. So if you called a year or two ago, uh, with a mobile or manufactured home question, looking for financing, we may have turned you away at that point because you were in a park or you weren't permanently affixed to the land or your coach was older than 76. 
Today we can um, do a lot of those loans. So if you heard no before, call back. We're not talking out of both sides of our mouth. This is an ever-evolving industry, and we've got new product today. So um, by the way, that's one more reason why, um, though we're a direct lender, um, functioning as a broker to be able to do stuff like this is pretty huge. So um, we're definitely keeping our whole broker channel intact so that we can bring every type of loan program um, that exists. I mean, we kind of pride ourselves in that. If it's lendable, um, we're going to figure out how to be able to do it. Huh? Mobile home lending. There's info That's on our website. Question. Yeah, it's kind of a lob, right? It's like a little here, hit this one out of the park. Well, it's been so frustrating for these people for so long. You know, lenders have shied away from that, especially when it's not a fixed. We've heard stories of lenders who used to make these types of loans and they'd go out, you know, the, the borrower stopped paying, they'd go out to the property and the, the home is nowhere to be found because yeah. it could still roll right off the lot. Instead of a foreclosure, <laughs> which you end up with is a repossession. Yeah. So you don't even get to get your underwear out of that top drawer. It's gone. Um, and, and that, by the way, is one of the reasons why this lending was so scarce is there's been many a tale where a lender makes a manufactured home loan there's no performance on it so they send a crew out there to pick it's it up gone. only to find out that it's already been relocated so it's um, great to have access to this financing yeah it, it really is and it's going to help a lot of people um we've been marketing it and trying to get the word out um, and already have had an overwhelming response so um yeah we can help you purchase a new home existing home a pre-hud home before that 1976 date you can, we can go back to 1970 we can do cash out and just regular rate and term refinances. We've got it all. Yeah. By the way, the that's, cash out component of that is a very rare bird to be able yeah. to do that. So that's what we have available for mobile and manufacturing. Yeah. Did you have a second question email to? Yeah, but I don't want to do it yet. Okay. I want to, I want to get back into some of the other uh, little things we got here. I, I did before we totally deviate from that topic though. Um, go to centralcoastlending.com if you want to check it out, find out um, a little bit more about the program there. We have pages on there that are specifically speaking to that program. You can find out if you qualify. If you just want to call and talk to us, you can. The number to our office is 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Give us a buzz and, and we'll be sure to, to get you the answers that you need. Um, switching gears we talked a lot about the jobs thing and, and what kind of strength is in the economy right now there were some other numbers this week that came out and um, you look in here to just kind of get a, a barometer of what's going on in the rest of the economy the, the for the people that are employed what's happening um, retail sales number came out this week um, with a weaker than expected number and that was pretty disappointing. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, retail sales an indication of what the consumer is out there shopping for and buying. Um, I think the, the farther reaching ramification here is it, it'll play into the Q1 growth outlook. We had um, Q3 and Q4 uh, GDP numbers were relatively strong. There's already a little bit of concern that that GDP for the first quarter here of 2014 might be weak because a lot of the growth was just the result of inventories. 
um, in 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 this number here where the consumer is actually outspending less, that also leads to a little bit of a contraction in the growth outlook uh, of GDP. Yeah, and then, you know, we've talked about it a lot, and in some ways I, I don't like scapegoating weather, ah. you know, but there's there's some truth to it too. I mean, there we've seen thousands and thousands of flights canceled due to weather, and that impacts, um, you know, the, the revenues to companies and – you know, I mean, it, it, it does play a big factor in our economy, the weather, especially when it sweeps over, you know, 90 percent of the country. Um, as a result of some of this weather, some retailers are stating that um, or what do we have here? Data from 50,000 retailers showing sales plunge nearly 10 percent during January, during the height of the polar vortex. Blame it on the rain. Blame it on the freeze. Blame it on the snow. There you go. Millie Vanilli didn't sing that one, though. Nope. Oh, that's interesting. So when we thaw out, then everything is going to be better. Isn't there a new polar vortex now? Yeah, it seems like there's been a few waves of this deep freeze. Something like 80-something 80%, 80 percent, 88% of the Great Lakes are frozen over right now. Jeez. That's a whole lot of cold. It's a whole lot of freeze, yeah. It's and it, it's having an impact. And that you know, back to an earlier topic that we were talking about, the the tapering policy and why aren't they stopping it given the recent run of not necessarily great economic data. Perhaps there's you know, they, they are believing that this is a season seasonal um issue right now and that you know come springtime come summertime maybe we will maybe things are ripe for more growth then when we we spent so long trying to thaw a credit market now we seem to thaw some tundra and now we can, <laughs> right. then we can conduct business um switching gears ever so slightly um wells fargo you you brought these guys up first i brought a little snippet here to share too about um wells fargo They've cut their retail, their mortgage retail staff in uh, by 50%. Their volume year over year is down 60%. And um, the purchase volume, uh, they're still hanging tough in there. They're 65, only down um, above 65% of what it was. So they're doing okay in terms of people still walking in there and getting purchase loans out of them, which baffles me. Uh, most any institution around will beat the socks off of Wells Fargo because they're terrible at home loans. Um, can I? Am I allowed to say that that bluntly? Is somebody going to sue us? I bet Wells Fargo has much better lawyers than we do. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, in in terms of um, comparing interest rates, closing costs, program offerings, all this kind of thing, they just lack that competitive edge that companies like ours have. How's that? That's good. Better, huh? Um, and then you mentioned, so I just say. Uh, well, we, this was like headline news yesterday, and I thought, so what? <laughs> so what? Wells Fargo comes out and says, oh, the, the headline was subprime loans. Subprime lending is back. It's back. Because Wells Fargo, the nation's largest mortgage originator by volume, is now lowering their minimum credit score on FHA loans to, from 640 to 600. 
But that's not new. That's just new to them. Well, FHA, correct me if I'm wrong, but FHA doesn't have a minimum credit score. No minimum credit score. And, and for everybody that's like shaking their head right now going, oh, I can't believe this. Let me tell you just real quick. To have a 580 credit score, you got to be pretty good at sucking at paying bills. <laughs> you do. You kind of have to get a bill, and even if you feel like paying it, you got to throw it out. You got to get yourself some collections. You got to let some. You got to run up some credit cards that go to charge off. You got to um, write some bad checks. You got to get some. Um, maybe a bankruptcy or a foreclosure or something, and then don't do anything to fix it. That's going to get you some 580 credit score, some 600 credit score. Um, so that being said, FHA's minimum credit score, they don't have one. But they do have minimum credit standards. There you go. You can't have major derogatories. You can't have widespread collections and all these things that are undealt with. Yes, they do allow for isolated events or or things, credit blemishes as a rule. Or short um, seasoning, but you have to have an explanation. Right. And you have to explain not only what happened, but what you've done to prevent it from happening again. Right. So just because you have the minimum credit score doesn't mean that you're qualified for that no. loan. You have to explain why you have that credit right. score and what you've done to, to stop what caused your credit score to decline to that level in the first place. So two quick thoughts about this. Number one is their volume's down, they're cutting their staff. In the interest of self-preservation, they're dropping the standards to bring more people through the door, and they're feeding to purchase customers. That's who they're after. They're looking for, um, you know, if, if I say this sometimes, it feels like right now where we're at, we come off of these great lows in interest rates and home buyer incentives and all this stuff. We're kind of scraping the barrel today. Um, we're getting people that have credit issues. They've they had a short sale or a foreclosure or bankruptcy at the very beginning of this recession. They're trying to get financing again. Um, so, how do you do that? <laughs> throw a bigger net out and wells fargo determines that offering loans down lowering their standards to a minimum credit score uh is the way to do that now we talk about this on the show from time to time that's what we call overlays right um a company like wells fargo takes the fha guideline which has no minimum credit score and however they justify it um to the board that yeah, our, we want a higher credit standard than what FHA will allow. We're going to put this overlay on that you have to have a 640 credit score if you want to get an FHA loan with us. There have long been companies. I mean, we can do FHA loans as low as a 560 credit score today, and we've been able to for years. You want to know how many of those loans go through? Like none because they don't meet the credit criteria when they have a 580 or 590 credit score. Their credit's trashed. No one will give them a home loan. So it's not something new that Wells Fargo's doing, but it's interesting to me. Um, I didn't see the headline that they cut their credit score. My piece to bring in was that they have laid off a lot of staff because their volume is down more than 50%. And the piece you bring in sharing is that 
hey, production's down. Let's drop the standards. And doesn't this tie all the way back in what we were talking about at the beginning of the show today, which is we move from conservative to less conservative. And and I always I always tell people never underestimate the power of self-preservation. It's it's amazing what links people will go to uh, when they're backed into a corner. And so we see Wells Fargo here um, rolling up their sleeves to kind of do a little bit dirtier loan. Uh, so that's that, that piece on Wells Fargo. Um, so the other question that I got asked here, you know what? Time out. Let's do a commercial break. We got, we owe one more to the sponsors. It's 1145. When we get back, I'll, I'll share this next question with you that has to do with, um, those, borrowers that I like to call re-emerging borrowers, folks with damaged credit trying to figure out how to get back into the housing market. So we'll do that after this short break. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. I started talking about people with bad credit, and then Jim chooses a 
a song with a really strange message to bring us back with. I don't know. I just like it. I'm right. just trying to tie it into anything. <laughs> um, before the break, I I kind of alluded to um, this other question that I got asked, and I, I want to have a little bit broader conversation about it because it, it's coming up every day now. Um, there are a lot of really good people that had issues with real estate or just debt in general, loss of a job. This recession had left a lot of casualties in its wake. And there are, there are some people that, that definitely deserve the hand that they were dealt and can't have a lot of sympathy for. And there, are, there are likewise are a lot of people that tried to make the best of their situation and, and ended up, um, with a short sale or a foreclosure or bankruptcy or maybe all of the above. So first of all, I, I just want to point out that um, the guidelines as you're preparing yourself to borrow again, they're very clearly defined. Um, I don't believe there's any gray area in this at all. Uh, for whatever reason, I find that a lot of um, other lenders around town have difficulty properly um, giving somebody counsel about what programs they'll qualify for or what their waiting limit is going to be for a specific kind of loan or not. Um, so yesterday I got an email from a guy. He was actually calling from Monterey, emailing from Monterey. Uh, he found us on a Google search because we have a lot of info on our website that talks about um, those credit challenges and what what the statutes are as far as how long you have to wait or what you need to do. Um, so I thought it may be just kind of a broad overview of what some of these programs are um, to help people. Now, fundamentally, just real quick, we need to we need to define the difference between a short sale and a foreclosure, because those that proves to be a really big deal. And I, and I want to back us up about four years here. Um, we had a lot of people saying, I, I tried a loan modification. Uh, my bank refuses to work with me. I can't afford my mortgage payment. My house is way underwater. Um, I'm going to lose this property one way or another. Why should I work with the bank who refuses to work with me? Why should I do a short sale? Just let it go to foreclosure and just stick it to the man. Uh, we were telling people back then, and this was kind of before it was very clear how, how the dust was going to settle, um, that a short sale is going to be viewed as um, a little bit with a little bit more leniency. A short sale means that you didn't just totally flake out on the obligation, that you at least made some attempt to see it through and minimize the bank's loss in that particular property. Well, that really played out to be true because today um, in lending, the ultimate F word is foreclosure and short sale is actually quite forgivable. If you were able to stick it out and do a short sale, um, you're granted a, a significant leniency on most every program as compared to the folks that just walked away and did a foreclosure. So that being said, We'll run through some of the basic programs here um, and we'll do short sale and then we'll do foreclosure. I want to do them separately. Um, so first of all, um, I'll, I'll just start with like those government programs on FHA. If you had a short sale, 
you could do uh, buy a new home as little as a year after you completed your short sale. Uh, there's some criteria that has to be met. I don't want to get all the way into it, but um, the bottom line is they're pretty lenient if you can document some extenuating circumstances that led up to your short sale. Now, if you foreclosed and just walked away completely three years. Hmm? Now, under the back to work program. I was under the impression they allowed for 12 months seasoning on both foreclosure and short sale as long as you could document the extenuating circumstances. Is that not true? We should look that up. To my knowledge, it's not. So I'll, I'll look it up as I'm telling you um, the next couple of pieces here. USDA is another government program that we use quite a bit of around here. This is that cool program that does 100% financing. And I, I said so earlier, um, the USDA program has been extended and expanded. One of the things that they changed is the density of population or allowing this loan to work in areas that are more densely populated than ever before. So, um, Basically, now what that means is we're going to be able to do USDA loans in more parts of the county today. USA, USDA mirrors FHA in terms of um, the foreclosure guidelines. So they'll do uh, three years post foreclosure, um, short sale as short as two years. So you get more leniency if you did the short sale. Um, three years if you had the, the F word happen there, the foreclosure. Um, when we get over into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, this is where it gets kind of gross. Um, with 20% down payment, if you had a short sale, you're eligible for financing in two years with 20% down payment. Um, if it's if you have 10% down payment, they'll do it for you in three years. If you don't have any, uh, that minimum down payment is five years. And then on a foreclosure, if you actually just did the all out full on walk away foreclosure, that thing's seven years on Fannie and Freddie. So it, it really is damaging. So that being said, when somebody comes in for um, consultation, they wanna find out what their options are available um, they, now we kind of look at, well, how long has it been? Did you do a short sale or a foreclosure? Uh, and what kind of down payment do you have together? And so, um, oh, I didn't, I didn't mention VA either. VA has a policy here. Um, if the property that you short sold or foreclosed with was not a VA loan, you basically become ineligible for financing if you're if you go defunct on a VA loan. They don't do another one for you. So if you had a conventional loan and you lost it to a short sale, um, 24 months for a VA loan, um, and for the foreclosure, you could technically do 24 months there as well, um, provided again that it wasn't a VA loan. Um, so. Looking up, going back to that FHA thing, there there is an allowment to fit a foreclosure into the FHA back to work program. 
Um, yeah, I'm seeing they'll they're lumping all negative credit events into that program, requiring just a 12 month seizing. That includes bankruptcies, yeah. deeds in lieu of foreclosure, foreclosures, and short sales. A lot of the banks that we work with don't even offer the back to work program at all. The ones that do are generally erring on only wanting to do it for the short sale side, but there are a couple that will do it on a foreclosure too. So I stand corrected, Dan, you win. Um, it's but, not about winning and losing. Yeah. It's so about the right info. The bigger gist for me though, is that um, oftentimes people are really surprised to find out what they're eligible for um, and how recent, they've had that that bump in the road the bankruptcy the foreclosure the short sale so if you had any of those items or know somebody that did and you want to sit down and figure out exactly what program you qualify for i i don't know that it's really ever too soon because we can give you um a, a plan hey yeah you do have to wait 16 more months however you could, you know, work towards this down payment or reestablish your credit in this way. Make sure that this item on your credit report, which is reporting incorrectly, you get fixed. Kind of craft the whole plan of what it's going to take for you to be a homeowner again. Um, those are the kind of things that we're doing lately. So if, if you guys have those needs or know anybody that does, tell them to give us a call. Um, 543-LOAN is the number to the office. We'd love to sit down and walk it out. Um, show you everything that exists. Likewise, you can get more information about these programs and our company in general by finding us um, on the web. We're centralcoastlending.com. There's a lot of resources on there. You can listen to past episodes of Mortgage Matters. You can learn um, about local uh, things, not only just limited to the economy, but also there's some great write-ups about some local businesses. Um, we also have some fantastic content provided by other local professionals. These include attorneys, landscapers, um, tax advisors, kind of the whole gist. So go ahead and, and check us out on the website. You can also run some calculators or fill out a loan application. CentralCoastLending.com. Give us a call this week if we can help you with anything loan-related. We're 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back next week for another live episode of Mortgage Matters.